They're getting active learning, but then they're also having to problem solve and maybe working together as a team. You're building those creative social networks within your classrooms. And it's just a really fun opportunity for kids to apply their learning into the room, into the material and into physical activity. It's just a win-win-win. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Elizabeth Tingle, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different guest to talk about different topics related to school-based health promotion. Today, I'm talking with Andrea Dion, Scott Bailey, and Chessa Peter from EverActive Schools about adding physical movement to learning in your classroom. Welcome to you all. Thank you so much for joining the pod class. Maybe you could just start off with stating your name so we know which voice goes to whom. And we always like to start off the pod class by asking guests what their favorite well-being habits are. So if you could share that, that would be great. Awesome. Yeah. Hi, I'm Scott Bailey. And I actually had uh, the good fortune to be a guest on this podcast uh, at the very beginning. And to be honest, I wasn't that into podcasts or ebooks previously, but I've got to say, Elizabeth, I've been hooked. Now I'm a, a walker <laughs> runner with all of my ebooks, even some course reading that I'm doing. And yeah, I'm a podcast listener now, but on the move. So yeah, this is a great opportunity to learn and also get some, some steps in. Hi, I'm Chessa Peter. I have been at the wellness gig a long time. So there's lots that I have in my arsenal. But definitely my go to's would be my yoga practice and uh, getting outside with my family. So I'm lucky to live in Canmore, Alberta, right at the gateway to the Rocky Mountains. And so we do lots of activities outside and getting some fresh air and sunshine on my face always seems to revitalize me. I'm Andrea Dion, Omeo Wapikwini Esquea Onestiga Sun. My spirit name is Beautiful Flowering Woman. For wellness, I practice by taking active breaks throughout the day. Working from home is really difficult. So physically getting away from my computer and my working desk is important. A five-minute break throughout the time to keep me engaged and also helps as a body break. Another thing I like to do is play. I like to play with my grandson and, and just kind of shut the world off. And another thing that I do that's really been helpful for my wellness it's not necessarily a physically connected one, but I refuse to look at my emails when I'm not working. It can wait. Work can always wait. <laughs> oh, I love all the ideas. Thank you to you all for sharing. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at EverActive, and why it is that you've come to care about health promotion in the school setting. Scott, why don't we start off with you? Sure thing. So I'm a teacher, but I've been with EverActive Schools on secondment now for five full years. I taught middle school and previous to that, I'd worked in active living and recreation. So I knew that that movement and physical activity is really important for overall health. But I've learned so much over the last few years about how to practically bring it into a classroom space and, and how to make sure some approaches that can work for all students. The best part is we get to continue to learn every day. And you, Chessa? Uh, so I am currently on mat leave, but I've been with EverActive Schools for seven years in a variety of different roles. Um, mine is now called a health and wellness consultant. And I always thought I would be a teacher, but when I went back to university for a multitude of reasons, I went into a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology. And I landed a practicum with EverActive Schools. I sort of recognized I wasn't interested in, in that downstream approach. I didn't want to be a physiotherapist. 
I wanted to work in that upstream approach, health promotion. And um, yeah, I got the opportunity to to do a practicum with Everactive Schools and and just stuck around, <laughs> which has been great. I've had an opportunity to learn so much and grow within the organization. And I feel really grateful to be in the role that I'm in today. Wonderful. And Andrea, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm from the Samson Cree Nation in Muscogee, Alberta. And I've worked in the school system for many years as an EA, as a substitute, and as an instructor for distance learning. My background is in education and Aboriginal health promotion, and I really believe in being physically active with our students and our youth to look at movement beyond sport and beyond those structured confines of sport and the opportunity to incorporate physical activity and learning and making memorable experiences for our youth. Because we know that when we teach, when we make the experiences good and enriching, we have such a great opportunity to achieve better outcomes with our students. So I love that. I love the notion of broadening where physical movement can occur at school. I think we sometimes think that that is the responsibility of physical education teachers. And I think there are so many opportunities that we can embody learning and energize the things that we're doing with our students, regardless of the discipline. So I'm excited to talk to all of you about the different ways to do that. But first, let's talk about the more compelling reasons and the research why teachers should consider adding physical activity to their teaching. Why should we look at adding a little bit of movement, either going outside or the different strategies that we're going to talk about today? Are there solid reasons for adding this to our instructional approach? When we learn in our home environments, we're learning as modeling from the activities in our community that we see from our parents, from our siblings, and whoever's close in that home bubble. And so modeling and teaching starts with play explorative play and involves using the imagination and those mental capacities of of youth and children. So when we stretch that opportunity for them to create and imagine these experiences, we really change and impact their learning environments. And it's about creating those experiences. And we learn so much from play, from having fun. And it's so important to incorporate that in our lives. And it just makes it a whole lot more fun and engaging for kids. Yeah. And if you can get them having fun, like that makes it so much easier to manage your classroom. They're going to remember and be excited. It's, it's like a catalyst for all of that other good learning that can happen if they're engaged and thinking that this is a fun activity. Such a good point. Scott, did you want to add anything else? Yeah, I think building on that, that it's just natural for children to move and play and learn all at the same time. And to your point too, Elizabeth, of what we see, especially as students often get into older grades, there's that real separation of the mind and the body. Dr. John Rady talks about that in his book, Spark. It's from 2008, but it was a big um, piece of literature in, in the science behind the benefits of physical activity for our not just our bodies, but our brains as well. And he quotes Plato, and and Plato talks about that false notion that the mind and body are not separate, and that when we build them both, that that leads to obviously a lot better outcomes. So yeah, the, the science is really clear and just continues to grow every year that there's so many benefits for our brain, for our thinking skills, for our self-regulation, executive functioning that we develop through activity and that being active isn't a break from learning, it is learning. Yeah, that's a really good way to frame it. And you're reminding me that the most memorable days from school 
were often field trips. And I think that is because so much of the learning is embodied. You're moving around in a museum or even just the process of going on a bus and going to a different place. It adds all of this other detail and strengthens the memory beyond learning something at a desk. I think this idea of embodied learning just has so much potential. One more thing to add is that we know from the data that healthy students are better learners. If you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard that already. And we also know from the data that many children aren't meeting those 24-hour movement guidelines that we're aiming for. And one in five school-age kids in Canada are meeting the physical activity recommendations, but many others are close. So if we can just add in, you know, a few extra minutes here, movement throughout the school day, we can bump up those minutes, we can add to those times that kids are active in a day, and hopefully get more kids meeting those recommendations. Good point. And so how can we start to do this? I think some teachers might feel like, okay, this all sounds good in theory, but what does this actually look like? How do I make my learning activities that are, you know, focused on curriculum outcomes a little more embodied? Scott, do you have any examples? I think you've been experimenting with this. Yeah, one comes to mind from my grade six classroom, and I don't think it was an original idea, but sky science is one of the units in the Alberta curriculum. So we're learning about all the planets in the solar system, and students often like to engage with models of it. Mm -hmm. But what a great opportunity to use the students as the model. So like using the gymnasium space or big space outside, the whole class can start to experience the different orbits of the planets with some clever calculations. So just as one example, if one student was going to be the Earth, and we said, you're going to run a circle around the middle of our space in about one minute, then you can do the calculations and and convert how many other laps students would have to do to be different planets. So for Jupiter, I think they get to take almost 20 minutes to get all the way around, where someone who chooses Mercury is going to be moving really, really fast. It's I think it's almost like 10 laps per minute. I'll have to double check the math on that one. So your sprinter goes on that one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one definitely stands out as being a bit of fun. And one we've been playing with, um, with classes that we've only been able to visit online over the last little while, but it works online or in person is is the number line. So take a number line, put it on the ground. You can do it right in your classroom space, maybe with some tape or some sidewalk chalk again outdoors. And students can physically move themselves along the number line and, and getting some of those concepts like what an integer is, moving to the positive side of zero, moving to the negative side. You can see that learning stick because the students are moving it and they're feeling it with their bodies. Oh, I love both of those suggestions. And I think it could spark a lot of ideas for teachers listening for ways to just embody the concepts that are being taught. I know also anytime in language arts that students are getting up and doing skits or tableaus, again, it's approaching it in a different way than just sitting in our desks. So those are great suggestions. There are different approaches to incorporating physical movement in more traditional classes. Let's go over some of the main strategies and how they differ from each other. I want to make sure people are clear on the terms. I've heard about classroom energizers, body breaks, physically active learning, and activity permissive environments. What are these describing? And have I missed any? If you can walk us through some of the differences between those terms, that would be great. I think just 
a lot of the time we want to make sure that our definitions are clear and we understand what's what and whose role is whose. And, and Elizabeth, you already mentioned sort of that thinking of like, I'm an LA teacher, phys ed happens in the gym, mm -hmm. um, which is true. So phys ed, physical education has specific learning outcomes. The aim of our current K-12 PE curriculum in Alberta is to enable individuals to develop the knowledge, skills and attitudes to lead a healthy, active lifestyle. In Alberta, we also talk about DPA a lot. Um, and so the meaning of daily physical activity, this is sort of a mandate that was set out in 2006, uh, is that school authorities shall ensure that all students in grades one through nine are physically active for a minimum of 30 minutes daily through activities that are organized through the school. So that might mean physical education, but if you're in a school setting where physical education isn't necessarily happening, on a daily basis, uh, we want to make sure that there's organized movement activities for kids. And I think what we're talking about here in terms of energizing our classroom is different from that in the way that we're talking about more of that cross-curricular learning, more of the learning happening in an active way rather than taking a break from learning to get movement. And there is some research that supports this. So some of the research that we draw upon in talking about this is uh, from Diamond in 2000, looking at multitasking or dual tasks. So they found that neuronal firing is greatest when the task is demanding, new, requires cognitive shifting, requires a quick response, and requires attention, meaning we're not just automatically responding. And what this research is sort of encouraging us to think about or, or to implement in our classrooms is, is more than just those activity breaks and more than just those treadmill desks. Can we get students both working their brains and that knowledge that we're instilling within them and, and helping them to learn and to understand in a way that's active? Can we have them working both parts of their brains at the same time? And it can be a simple movement activity. I mean, what Scott just, just mentioned in terms of moving around the planets, so that's not super complicated. There's not not a ton of rules. It doesn't take a super long time to set up. I mean, depends how good you are at math uh, to figure out those, <laughs> those rotations. But it can be as something as simple as a relay race game where you're practicing sight words or matching or memory or review questions. So simultaneously, the students are working with that content and moving their body and potentially working together as teams and getting that multitude of benefits from incorporating moving and learning and making it one activity, bringing our minds and our bodies together in the classroom and in a lot of different ways throughout the day and throughout the year. It's not just this one-off novel activity, but it becomes a part of our classroom culture. Yeah, I really like that we can add it throughout. I think that's such a, an important point. Thanks for clarifying some of those terms. Well, I was thinking with DPA, the idea of breaking it up between your class and tying it to cross-curricular outcomes is really important because you're right, they're getting active learning. But then they're also having that experience that I've talked about earlier, just to know that it's something, even with math, when we do math facts and quizzing them and doing around the world, even just standing at their desk and moving around from classroom to classroom. And then Chessa brought up a great point about allowing them to problem solve and maybe working together as a team. You're building those creative social networks within your classroom. So you're not only doing that, but re relay races, kids are getting that competitive edge and you're getting that opportunity for kids to shine 
in different ways because you might have the really active kid that's super fast mm-hmm. and then you have the other kid that's helping to work on strategy and when you build those you're just creating that opportunity to build a team within the classroom you're showing exhibiting everybody's individual strengths and it's just a really fun opportunity for kids to apply their learning into the room into the material and into physical activity it's just a win-win-win you just mentioned playing around the world. Can you explain what that looks like for someone who hasn't seen that? So we could do around the world with math or spelling facts or different trivia, um, according to whatever you have, like vocabulary even. And you provide an opportunity for kids to stand up and maybe they're stepping in place. And so one student would move from their desk to another in their line. And you would ask a math fact or a spelling word and whoever can spell it first gets to move on. So they get to move around the world. So around the classroom. And it's a really great opportunity for kids to get out of their desk. It kind of allows them to test those rote functions like math facts and spelling and that kind of stuff. So around the world was really fun. I remember the kids really enjoyed it. Um, It worked really well with my grade threes. So they really enjoyed just being able to compete against somebody else too. That, that element of fun is important. <laughs> of course. That uh, around the world sounds like it would develop community too. Like anytime that they are sort of up and doing something fun and talking with each other, again, builds that social connections between students. I think a sort of different version of that that I've had success with is doing a gallery walk where you have maybe like a discussion prompt on a poster at different places in the room and then people can move around and either talk as a group at each discussion question or if I have sticky notes, then they can write the responses and put them to the question. If you want it to be a quiet activity, you can make it all sort of silent interacting through text or you can have it be sort of these discussion stations and you can either do it as people are moving as a group to the different posters that are our discussion prompt or they're individually almost like an art gallery interacting with it as they want to. But I think it can achieve the similar things that you were talking about around the world. It's embodying that learning. It's building connections. It's a little different. It's something that will make the learning a little more memorable. And to add to that, it's building real world skills. Totally. You know, so many of our careers or our future lives as adults aren't going to require us to sit down and write a multiple choice test. Right. And it it requires us to have those conversations, to think on our feet. Mm -hmm. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Um, And so, yeah, that just brought to mind, you know, what my work life looks like. And a lot of the time, it's not just sitting and writing quietly or responding to questions. It's responding to the real world and engaging with people. That back and forth. Yeah, helping set our students up for success throughout their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. As you all describe some of those activities, I can start to see what those classroom spaces could look like. And it definitely changes the picture from rows of desks, hopefully, or even if that's what you have to work with, you use those spaces a little differently. So I guess there's one other term that that we often talk about at Everactive Schools and it's activity permissive learning environments. So this could be in your classroom and think of those real world skills like Chess is talking about just having your classroom set up in different zones. So there would be some zones in a classroom where you would have the opportunity to sit and maybe work a little more quietly at things, but potentially a table where teammates, uh, classmates could come around to work more collaboratively and, and that might happen standing. And also I've tried this with painter's tape. I had a very big classroom space and a good friend of mine has recently just actually installed it as a recess stencil. We just did a 10 by 10 grid 
So it's a totally blank canvas. It would make a great snakes and ladders game if you wanted to add some chalk, ladders, and snakes, but it also is a hundreds chart. So students could be hopping all the multiples of two or or just physically putting themselves on those numbers. So yeah, like a great way to get up again, get moving, and literally put your body into the learning. One of the most impactful tools I had in my grade six classroom was clipboards. Uh, I didn't have pedometers on the students, but I wish I had, because as soon as they had them, they got up and they moved their team meetings everywhere. They love to get out into the hallways or into some of those flexible learning spaces. But if they had their clipboard in hand, they felt like they were uh, still working away and, and still accountable. It's so funny. It's such a small thing, this little board, but it's like, now my learning is portable. (laughs) Exactly. And we've seen some schools that have really invested in thinking beyond the classroom spaces too. So there's lots of uh, collaborative spaces in hallways or like the redesign of libraries into learning commons. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, really thinking critically through the whole school environment about different spaces that you can have active and engaging learning even something as as simple as putting some pathways through the hallway so that instead of always walking in a straight line, you might get a few extra steps by doing some version of hopscotch or a hop, skip, or jump as you you go along. Yeah, Everactive Schools has some great tools. Remind me of the name, Running in the Halls? What is it called? Don't Don't walk in the hallways. Yeah, these environmental ways that we can cue movement a little bit more in the school day. Part of what I was thinking too, when Scott was talking about the clipboards, that just made me laugh because kids are, they're playing make-believe. You know, that clipboard just kind of, you know, you see adults with clipboards, they're important. (laughs) They're checking off lists, you know? So clipboards are so huge. But what he also mentioned too about the different environments within the school, you know, the learning commons, the hallway, what's stopping us from taking our classroom and saying, hey, our classroom is going to involve working outside today. Mm -hmm. If it's a fall, it's nice. Even if we're looking at an opportunity to increase imagination and creativity, there's nothing better than a good crisp walk outside to really enliven you and to encourage that kind of creative nature. So I think that land-based education and that opportunity to connect with nature. So that's a really good way to take things out. And then it's so easy to just take a 15 minute break and say coats and hats on. Let's go for a quick walk. Maybe it's a reset. Get those wiggles and jiggles out and come and reset and recenter. So it's an opportunity to have that connection to nature, but then also to encourage imagination, creativity, nature, that connection too. Oh, yeah. Going outside literally broadens our horizons. And I think it is resetting, like you say, to just spend some time out there. I think the classroom energy changes when you can make that happen. It's such a good point that sometimes it can just be a moment out of the classroom, a chance to breathe some fresh air, a chance to have fun with your students and connect. I love that. Now, do you have suggestions, though, for some concerns that might be coming up for people listening? Like, what if I feel like, I don't know if I have the space for this or the equipment. I'm worried that maybe someone's going to get hurt if things get too rowdy, if we add a little bit of movement or games to our learning. What advice would you give so that we can make sure everyone's safe? Something I've already touched on, and I'll just mention again quickly, is making it a regular part of your classroom. When it's novel, things can get a little bit hectic, but when it just becomes a part of your day-to-day routine and those expectations are clearly set out for your students, uh, I think that that can help um, manage a lot of those issues. So having those classroom expectations or classroom agreement that you and your students work to develop together. So those expectations are clear and are understood 
from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add, like, we often get to visit different school communities or work with classes on trying to bring active living or physical literacy initiatives to life for the whole school. And one of the first things the students often tell me is the rules that they already have. And it usually boils down to some version of respect, which if you just put that active and energized lens on, it definitely works. Like, are you going to respect each other? Are you going to respect the space? And are you going to respect yourself and know what you need in that moment and do what works well for you? It leads into, I think, great ideas like challenge by choice. Um, and like Chessa said, involving the students in planning and holding each other accountable through those active opportunities. And how would you handle it if a student just really doesn't want to do whatever activity you are proposing. I'm wondering if emotional safety is a factor here for some students who may feel like, I don't know if I like this, or this is really different. How would you handle that? I think that it is really important to remember that, you know, we're humans and our day-to-day changes and we have moods and external circumstances going on outside the classroom. And and maybe there is a day where a particular student needs something a little different. Maybe there's like an opt-out, like once a week you get an opt-out option. And maybe that means that you're doing a quiet activity in that set up spot for quiet activities in your classroom. Maybe that means you're like running an errand for the teacher or going for a walk. Mm. So I think just being open to that and you feel comfortable enough in your classroom to just know when that's needed or, or know that your students know when that's needed and you just sort of allow that in the moment. Yeah, like I'm wondering, it might be easier if you sort of start off doing this so that people know, okay, this teacher just does this. Sherry mm-hmm. just adds movement to the way that we're learning. And so then it becomes more normal. But if somebody wanted to start, you know, mid-school year, it might be a little bit abrupt for the class. So maybe maybe you could set it up by saying, yeah, I want to try this. I like your idea, Chess, of maybe appointing different tasks for some who are reluctant, whether it is running an errand or maybe there is supervisory kind of role Mm -hmm. that someone could be assigned if they're not quite feeling confident enough to take those risks. You know, it's a whole lot about classroom management and setting up those regular routines and those behavior and, and creating that culture of movement within your classroom. But then when we have the opportunity and we have those students that may not want to do that or, you know, explore that physical activity movement, Maybe there's some staff in there, the EAs that can support and maybe offer an alternative. I worked a lot in the special needs classrooms. And so some of our students didn't really want to go to phys ed. So what we would do is we do the lunch cart delivery. That way we're still physically active. They're getting out to be social because they love to visit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it was an opportunity for the kids to try something different. And they feel like they're doing something important, right? Like they're helping with the lunch delivery, the hot lunch. So just knowing that if there are people within your classroom, like in the learning commons that, hey, student A is just not feeling this today and they welcome them in and just having those set expectations with those members of staff to support your class. And I think that's kind of an ideal situation, but it's good to have those relationships. And it also furthers that sense of belonging within the school community. Absolutely. I think, too, the types of activities that we choose as we build those routines are really important. So, you know, if you're going to have some whole class activities, I'd be really wary of a lot of activities that have elimination in them. Mm. And that doesn't mean you can't play some of your favorite games, like a tag game or any of those where you would be out, but you just have to create ways, and the students are experts at this, being really creative with it, at ways that you're right back in the game. Mm. So if you've got the space, you can have 
multiple games going on. And if you get knocked out of one, you just go on to the next. And students, they don't really notice as much. It still feels competitive, but it's not a competition, if that makes sense. Yeah. If that's engaging for your class. And, and just some of the other ideas that we've talked about, of you know, setting up our space as well, always having options. I feel like teachers are experts in this while we're teaching in any subject areas, having lots of options, lots of uh, opportunities for students to get engaged. So if you can be creative with that, again, it goes back to the challenge by choice. Not every student has to do the same movement at the same time, just like they wouldn't have to do the same task at the same time. Mm -hmm. And just one easy strategy is allowing students to potentially pick their own challenge. So you might want to have a really competitive group depending on the activity and then more of like an in the middle group and then a more, you know, just for fun group. So that might allow some emotional safety for some students. Mm -hmm. I know I was that that kid. I wasn't competitive. I wasn't sporty. And that was sort of intimidating for me as a student. So allowing students to sort of choose that level of intensity uh, for themselves. And then I think also a great way to create uh, a sense of safety and, and community in your classroom is simply by participating as the adult and getting in there and, and showing it's okay to take risks and maybe look a little silly or, or make a mistake and showing as the teacher that you're willing to get engaged and to try something new as well. I like that. Scott, you've said a couple times challenge by choice. Can you, I don't think I've heard that. Can you explain what that means? For sure. So uh, I think it's especially relevant in setting up physical activities. So let's say you turn the four corners of your classroom into sort of activity zones and you're having the students move through. It could be as simple as a quick game of rock, paper, scissors with a partner there. And then the winner moves clockwise, then the loser moves counterclockwise. Uh, but before they do, you might have them do something like high knees. Right there, students could choose the speed they go at. So if you're feeling it, you can do a running, sprinting high knees. If you're not, you can just pick them up at, at walking pace. Or let's say you're going to do some jumps. Walls are great for this because you've got a target there. So you're challenging yourself. You're not measuring against what anybody else is doing, but you pick a spot on the wall and you get three attempts to try to go a little bit higher each time. I guess, yeah, take some of those competitive pieces and maybe turn them a little more internal. Mm -hmm. And uh, speed or distance are always great variables that you can let the students control. And they're still participating and they're still doing the same movements and building the same skills, right. but hopefully uh, on their own terms, which is more engaging. Right. Okay. I really like those suggestions. And you're reminding me of an educator at uh, the University of Calgary, Maya Anderson, who uses the terms mild, medium, and spicy in terms of students choosing the learning task that they are going to attempt in terms of difficulty and challenging. I like the idea of doing mild, medium, and spicy for physical elements as well, because it's not implying that one is more athletic than the other. It's just like, yeah, I'm feeling spicy today. <laughs> I'm going to try this. A little more effort involved. I love that. And another great way to do that is by how many in a minute. So rather than get this many and then you're finished and the kids who are fast are standing around, we're saying, okay, can you get 10 in a minute? You got 10 last time. Can you get 15 in a minute? And then everyone's engaged for that whole minute rather than that really fast kid or that really smart kid finishing in 15 seconds and then just standing around watching. 
I think for those students that do not regularly participate in these things. So celebrating, celebrating those students that it's outside of their norm Mm -hmm. to join in that aspect of emotional safety. Like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. People know like, yeah, right. I feel great about myself. And so that's a really great opportunity to connect with students as well and to build that team cohesiveness within your school are in your classroom, right? Just like, oh, yeah, everybody knows that I did this today. And I felt good. And it was out of my boundary. And, and as a teacher, you're building that safety, you're building that supportive and caring and compassionate environment within your school, your classroom. Yeah, I feel like just by adding some of these different movement challenges and activities, you're dramatically increasing the potential for cheering in your classroom, which is always good for everyone involved. There's just more chances to celebrate and act like a team and be happy in these small accomplishments um, when you add these sort of elements to your teaching. Such a good point, Andrea. Let's talk a little bit about how we could maybe add physical movement to online learning options. The pandemic has required many teachers all over the world to teach online, and many are still teaching online. And also, there are a number of teachers that have been teaching online for a long time. So what are some ideas for online educators to incorporate physical movement with their students who are learning on the computer? Um, I know one that that I've seen in practice over the past few months, but it it actually wasn't that new, is get students involved in making videos themselves. It's actually a great way to document the learning, whether you're in the school or at home. And just that type of assignment where students have to be active or creative, it's almost like the performance arts, but it's going to bring a whole bunch of physical activity. So it doesn't need to be students making a workout video, unless that's something they're passionate about. But yeah, that's one for sure. It definitely allows for some of that student choice. And then they can work within the spaces and equipment that they've got. Mm -hmm. My son was thrilled when his physical education teacher challenged them to do a scavenger hunt when they were online and they had to go and he had to take a selfie of himself by a mailbox or an outdoor basketball hoop. And so he was like running all over the neighborhood. And that by far was his most favorite phys ed day during their online learning. What can we do to engage younger elementary age students physically in the online learning environment? Uh, Just something off the top of my head, like answering with their bodies. Mm -hmm. So if you're on sort of, I mean, I'm not familiar with necessarily all of the platforms, but something like Zoom, where you can see all the students in their little boxes, you know, jump up and down to tell me yes, do squats or jumping jacks to show me no, just a really, really simple one to get those students moving and active and and demonstrating their answers without everyone talking at once. Right. And I've seen actually that done in the classroom as well, like doing multiple choice, sort of A, put your hands up, B, stand up so that you can do a quick scan of who knows (laughs) this information and how much do I need to do some review here. If we're embedding activity to develop some skills like object manipulation, so throwing, catching, We may not have access to some of the same things we would in a school, but like a tissue paper actually will float in the air for a long time. It really actually helps to slow it down when students are practicing something like throwing or catching. Mm. And soft materials seem to work well in the home space. So rolled up socks is essentially the same as a beanbag. And beanbags are so valuable for embedding any kind of activity into your learning in a really safe and soft way. Yeah, absolutely. 
So students, like all of us, move in different ways. How can we make sure that students of all abilities feel included if we're adding physical movement to students' learning? Andrea, you might, I'm sure, have some insights on this, given your experiences and EA. What are your thoughts on that? Well, part of that is just ensuring safe environments for them to do. And I worked with some students that had cerebral palsy. And so what we used to do in phys ed was, it used to be the funnest time for us together in phys ed, because it was kind of just her and I, we would modify exercises for her that she still felt like she was achieving and doing similar sports. So if we're working with like some volleyball skills or catching, we're doing things in a modified environment and a modified approach for her so that she finds her success. And then I would work with her and stand with her if we were doing any sports and try to integrate her and other students in any ways that we can. And, and most of our students were understanding that we're welcoming this individual into our game at this time. It's not to ease up, but just to pay mind to their ability, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to make sure that they feel included as well. And so that was really important to us. And then ensuring that those students feel safe and they feel like they're achieving and they're not just sitting there on the side because we see that often happen. Yeah. So we're looking at ways to incorporate and adapt those exercises. And sometimes it was completely something different, like phys ed or gymnastics unit was really, really hard, but we tried different ways to incorporate movement and still find fun within that experience. So that was really important. And then just being able to work as a team, right? So we used to pair them a lot together. We would have partners. They had the buddy group. It was called the Wolfpack Classroom. Mm-hmm. They had their buddies. And so they always had their pack members. So they would walk down the hallway with them. So they would keep up with each other. They'd check in with them. And those were their partner desks, the way our classroom was set up at that time. So it was just about creating that. And it wasn't the same partner. We used to rotate the partners. So they got to know each other's experience experiences in this kind of a construct in their classroom. So that was something that I felt was really beneficial. And yeah, phys ed used to be, I used to think it was challenging, but then it became our most fun subject because it was looking at creative ways to move and creative ways to teaching games for understanding, not just on sport and those kinds of skills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just about athletic performance. That's not what physical education is about. Absolutely. Such a good point. I think planning with inclusion in mind is so good for the whole school community. So I think if we plan for it, and again, are creative about it, that we can find ways to make sure that everyone can participate in some way. And coming at it from that strengths-based approach, encouraging students to lean into their strengths and, and to celebrate those and not look at it as a limitation, but what do you bring to our group? How can you, you know, really thrive and feel success in this activity? Of course. What suggestion would you have if things don't go as planned? If the students get a little out of control, how do we not get totally discouraged about adding physical movement? Uh, I think a debrief is always a great way to sort of circle back and to have that learning with the students. So maybe it's immediately after the activity, like, let's just stop, let's sit back down into our desk, let's talk about what's going on. Or maybe it's later in the day or before you try again. But having that debrief, talking about it with the students, creating strategies with them for next time. And then my other suggestion would be try again. Because as I've already mentioned a couple times, you know, the first time might be a little bit (laughs) frantic or a bit chaotic. Your students are trying something new. This is different than what they're used to potentially. And so just keep keep at it and stay with it. Uh, Just a quick story. 
I have a friend who is a teacher and she's a, a science and, and math teacher trained for high school. And she ended up in a grade four classroom and she did uh, games and activities for self-regulation every morning for 15 minutes with her grade four classroom. And at first it was just like all over the place, but she stuck with it by about partway through the year. Her students really were looking forward to that. She was finding that after that 15 minute block, they were ready to learn. She was finding that when they got to phys ed later in the day, they weren't just like running around like wild once they got into the gym and finally got that opportunity to move their bodies. So even though the first few weeks, even the first month was was a lot, she stuck with it and really saw results after a period of time. Oh, that's good to keep in mind. I would just say, yeah, keep trying, keep going. Kids are going to sign on. They're going to understand that it's so much fun and opportunity. And just one of the things too is maybe ask them, what they like to do, how do they like to get moving, what makes them smile when they're moving, right? So incorporating them in that planning, incorporating that healthy school action planner, maybe as an activity for older students to look at incorporating DPA would be great. But yeah, just keep trying. Absolutely. So let's get into some fun strategies of different ways that teachers can take this up in different disciplines. Can you all share some of your favorite strategies for adding movement to teaching? What have been the most fun? (laughs) So two that I really love are uh, relay race review games, I guess would be a good way to umbrella term it. You know, whether that's memory, uh, having the students match. For example, I've done it with the periodic table. So having them match the name of the element to the, the shorthand version of it and work in teams to do that, to get as many as they can in 10 minutes or something along those lines. Can you explain, is the relay in desks? I need like <laughs> diagram. <laughs> sure. So how I would set it up, and again, this can be adapted to your classroom, is I would set the students out into small teams. So teams of three or four, and I would have them have a little home base, probably nearer to the back of the classroom. Then I would set out a bunch of matching cards at the front. Either all of the students can work off of the same playing deck, for lack of a better word, or I could give them each their own, depending on what we were working on and how closely things needed to be matched or grabbed. And then I would say, okay, we have five minutes. Relay race style, one person goes at a time, flips over two cards. Do they match? No. Leave the cards flipped up. Check if you see any other matches that you can grab. Once you've done that, you can go back to your team. And I might say you can only take one match at a time. I might say you can take as many matches as you see. Mm -hmm. So every turn, a student is going up to the front, flipping over two cards, looking for matches, and then coming back to their team, and the next person goes. And again, that could be adapted to a variety of subjects and a variety of information that you're trying to explore. Uh, Like I said, it could be periodic table. It could be the name of the color and a card that's the color for a younger age group. Mm -hmm. And also they could work as individuals, but I do like sort of having those small teams so they can work together and cheer each other on and keep each other accountable because some students will stay up at the board for so long. And their team will be like, come back, like, it's my turn, you know? So it kind of keeps the game moving when they're in those small teams. Oh, well, you could do so many things with like definitions and the sky's the limit on an activity like that. Yeah. Does that make it a little bit more clear? Yes. Thank you. And then one other thing I really like to set up that's super easy is just that active assessment. So it might be like we sort of talked about in that online setting, moving your body in a way that demonstrates 
uh, the answer that you want to show. You could also set up like A, B, C, D sides of the room where students are moving. You could have the question up on your slides and the students move to the corner of the room that they believe the answer to represent. You could say, have a true or false. So, you know, move to this side of the room if you think it's true, move to that side of the room if you think it's false, and so on. So just having everyone demonstrating their knowledge, everyone moving around the classroom as a way to do a quick assessment. I like that. And I think in social studies, if you were talking about issues, you could have an agree, not sure, disagree kind of continuum. There's so many different ways that we can get students up and moving. How about you, Andrea? Do you have some favorites? Yeah, I was just thinking about the snowball Mad Libs game. So (laughs) utilizing basic movements of throwing and it's fun and silly. So maybe working with a language arts or English class and and having, say, you know, a noun, everybody puts it down, throws it in, you pick it out, and then you make a Mad Libs paragraph or a story that you tell with those stories from your classroom. So that's one way to incorporate the learning, you're testing knowledge, and you're having fun creating stories that that often get pretty silly. The other one I was thinking about was the left-right game. That's something that we've utilized in our on-demand approach. But then what I've also done is kind of incorporated it and changed it. So the left-right game is a script. It's a story we tell. And every time you hear the word left, you step to the left. Every time you hear the word right, you step to the right. And so what we've done is we've told the story based it on their own physical land. So I did one um, local to my community in Muskwachese, and I took people on a journey through that going left and right. But then you can also incorporate those storytelling by saying, Sam got up, he looked to the right of his bed, so you step to the right, and he stretched. So then you're stretching and you're getting that physical movement, and people can tell their own activity story and their own journey. I think that's a really good adaption and for kids to get moving, and you're utilizing their imagination in that visual context of how their physical environment might look. I think those would be probably the ones that I really celebrate the most. How about you, Scott? What have been the most fun for you to implement? Yeah, um, stories are, are such a great opportunity. And a cool one that we've seen and done is trail tales, or sometimes it's called story walks. So it takes a little bit of setup, but you just take a book, and it can be any book that you own, actually, if you have two copies, because you can take it apart so that you can post all the pages of that book spread out along a trail so your class gets to go for a walk and read as they go and there's some great books like Andrew was talking about too out there that have movement prompts written right into them so it might have a question like can you make yourself as tall as a mountain or make yourself as small as a mouse and the students can do it right there at each page thinking back to that gallery walk like what an awesome way to actually get students to create that work and put it on display too so you could definitely have student created story walks or trail tales would be very very cool Uh, If you're lucky enough to get to teach science or math, think of all the meaningful data that exists outside. So you have permission really to take your class outside. And we've learned that many school divisions have a walking field trip permission. Mm -hmm. So you really only have to get signed off once per year and you can travel somewhere around a two kilometer radius around your school. So there's some great science experiments you could do, uh, like with air quality. There's one we can certainly drop in the show notes from the Calgary Regional Airshed Zone. Students just create a little card with some petroleum jelly, and they count the number of particulate matter that arrives over time. You can test it in different spaces. So right there, you've guaranteed yourself a weekly field trip to go and check in on your... findings and and then in math as well like I was so lucky to teach close to a forest but the number of 
patterns and other meaningful numbers that can be uh, found from going and, and looking carefully at, at different forests or things that you find like pine cones or leaves are really amazing. So I think always try to connect with the other teachers on your team as well. And this isn't supposed to be the go outside podcast, but we know we're more active when we do. So so I think, yeah, just taking the learning outside as much as you can also gets you that benefit of a more energized classroom. Well, I know a lot of people are going to want some resources and the videos that you guys have mentioned. So we will have extensive show notes for this episode, but are there any great places that you would recommend people go for ideas on how to incorporate more movement into learning at school? Yeah, YouTube and social media, I think can be really great. We've been really fortunate to collaborate with our friends from Ontario, Ophia, and we did a whole DPA everyday series. So you just have to search that hashtag. There's videos, there's ideas, and there's pictures that teachers were sharing right from their classroom across a whole bunch of subject areas of bringing different activities in to get up to that 20, 30 extra minutes of movement each day. Great. We'll be sure to include those links too. So lastly, what could any teacher do, maybe even starting tomorrow, to add a little more movement? What would your advice be? I would say be prepared to join in. And we've talked about it before, but it could be as simple as bringing a pair of runners, keeping them under your desk if, if it's not what you would typically wear at the school. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to embed a bit of activity, throw them on as a visual signal to the students as well that, that you're here, you value that physical activity as well, and you're going to join in because it's fun and you're probably going to learn a lot along the way. Great advice. Anything to add, Andrea? I guess just, yeah, joining in, being a part of that. And, and we learn a lot more about a person and an individual by play and having fun with them than we would in any other environment. So be prepared to laugh and smile with your students. (laughs) Love that. Chessa, any final words? Maybe next time you think for students to raise their hands in the classroom, have them move their body in a different way. So that's just a really quick, easy one to implement tomorrow. Don't say raise your hand, say get up and stand on one foot or have them demonstrate their knowledge using their bodies. All actionable, great advice. Thank you so much to all of you for taking the time to share your expertise. I think your ideas are going to get some people moving. Thanks for joining us for another Conversation on School Health, a serious collaboration between the Workland School of Education and EverActive Schools. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at EverActive Schools, or visit our website everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. Dismissed.